welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we talk about kids' movies and take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched a movie talking about Megamind. So, cards up front, Jan didn't really want to do a podcast about this one, so I'm forcing her. Uh, and I'll start out with a recap of this movie. Megamind is a 2010 movie about, um, it's essentially if uh, Lex Luthor uh, was the good guy. So the plot of Megamind, Megamind and Metro Man are both aliens sent to Earth very much like Superman uh, from planets nearby each other. Metro Man lands in a, the lap of luxury and is raised with uh, many advantages and Megamind lands in a prison for the criminally gifted Metro Man grows to be a hero. Megamind grows to be a villain. And the movie really starts as Metro Man decides that he's had enough of it. Well, actually, no, we don't know this. The movie really starts as Megamind... (laughs) Spoilers! uh, Spoilers! Megamind successfully manages to kill Metro Man and then has to cope with the fact that he doesn't have a rival anymore. And it turns out that Metro Man didn't really die. He was just tired of being a hero and he uh, retires. But without a hero to fight, Megamind becomes a superhero himself instead to fight a greater villain who comes up. That's essentially the plot of this movie. I've gone more into detail than we usually do, but uh, that's what happened in this movie. There's a lot that happens. I think that's part of the problem with it. I don't know if it's a problem, but like... The plot is a little convoluted, and like he kills Mega, he kills not Mega Man, uh, Metro Man, Metro Man. Metro Man. <laughs> I always want to call him Mega Man because that's the video game. Uh, he kills Metro Man. It turns out he doesn't, but and then he is evil for a while, and then he makes this other hero to be a hero. He helps create him, and. Honestly, I fell asleep during part of the montage because <laughs> I was a little tired. And like, and the whole time there's this woman, Rox, Roxy, yeah, yeah, played by Tina Fey, who's just there to be a love interest and like, and also to have some agency. So like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just feels like it takes a lot of twists and turns and like, oh, there's a so, twist and there's a twist and there's a twist and there's a twist. Not that it's a tor- horrible movie. I just, I'll mean, I'll say what I said before, which is, I felt like watching this. It doesn't do anything that Despicable Me didn't already do. They came out in the same year, which is one of those, you know, things that happens in movies, blah, blah, blah. But Despicable Me does it so much better. And there's also shades of Mystery Men, which is like, you know, 10 years earlier. And also, and does, also it does it better. Because Mystery Men, despite being kind of a bad movie, is a movie that I love. And so I'd much rather talk about that than this. Like, it just... And there's also know. some aspects of The Incredibles. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Which also of. does it better. Yeah. That the eventual villain is in a few ways reminiscent of Syndrome. And Megamind himself is in some ways reminiscent of Syndrome because he wants yeah. to create. It's a li- little flipped, but he wants to create a hero that he can fight so that he can be the villain. Whereas yeah. Syndrome wants to create a villain that he can fight so he can be the hero, yeah. but it's, it's similar. This is. This must be after Incredibles came out. I, I assume. I assume so, but I'm certainly not going to look it up. Um, no, actually, no, for sure that it is. 
So, I mean, we were talking, you can probably immediately tell I'm a little warmer on this movie than Jan is, though I'm not, you know. I fell asleep. <laughs> I'm not out here to say that Megamind is the greatest movie ever. Our kids enjoyed it yeah. uh, well enough. I mean, yeah. they weren't like writing home about it or anything, but they enjoyed it well enough. Jan's big, uh, your big criticism of it, I think, what you just summed up that you didn't think it was a bad movie, you just thought everything in it has been done better by someone else. Yeah. The other reason Jan didn't want to do a podcast about this one is that she just thought there wasn't enough to say about it. I think we can find some things to say about this And movie. to take way too seriously. And to take way too seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll maybe get out of the way a few little things. Like, I think, actually, the acting was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Will Ferrell's great. Tina Fey's great. Who else? Brad Pitt and Jonah Jonah Hill. Hill. And David Cross as Minion was really funny. Yes. I kept trying to figure out who that was because I always have to know who the voices are. And I had to, and I was knew that I recognized the voice so much. And then finally I figured out that it was David I Cross. I thought he was great. Uh, so, I mean, the uh, acting was good. The animation was DreamWorks, which is yeah, always, you know, serviceable. One of the things I said about it was that DreamWorks house style is always the same. You compare it to the a studio you can't help but compare DreamWorks to, which is Pixar, and think about how every Pixar movie has its own distinctive aesthetic, whereas DreamWorks movies all have the same aesthetic. Uh, and that's, you Probably, know, yeah. it's not necessarily an uh, enormous problem. The animation wasn't bad, but it also wasn't uh, anything to write home about. We watched another uh, movie we watched recently that was also not great, but uh, Hotel Transylvania, much better animation than uh, in terms of... Yeah, but this is more recent. It's more recent, well, but just no, in terms of character years. design and aesthetic and having a real, like, the, the, the way that it, not the technological aspects of animation, but just, like, the way the characters looked and how it was more interesting to look at yeah, yeah. than Megamind. Um, so, I mean, but to get that out of the way, I think there were some things that they did well. They did, yeah. Uh, it was funny. I mean, like, definitely had a lot of funny moments. A lot of, like, as an adult, you see the humor in, like, uh, the villain and and the references. Not overt references, but subtle references to Superman. And to, yeah, a lot of references to Superman. So let's take some things way too seriously. Okay. I think... Uh, the first thing that we can really take way too seriously is gender in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, gender and sexuality, but specifically gender. Yeah. And where would you like, there's a few different uh, ways we can come into that discussion. Where would you like to start well, talking to start about gender with, in this movie? I, you just got to talk about Roxy is the love interest for everyone, for three different guys. Yeah. Maybe so four. Be- before the Don't movie. <laughs> <laughs> She's the love interest for Megamind, for uh, Metroman, and for Titan, which is also her cameraman. She's a reporter. And she kind of is the love interest for Bernard, who is turns out to be Megaman, but he's there. Functionally, to, you know, functionally he's, a he's a separate character, character for part of the movie anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's just like this... I suppose I'm a, I'm a little crazy about you. Who are you, really? Roxanne? Yes? 
I'd say I wasn't so normal. I'd say I was bald and had the complexion of, of a popular primary color as a random, non-specific example. Would you still enjoy my company? Of course. You don't judge a book by its cover or a person from the outside. Megamind, I don't even know if you're listening, but if you are, you can't give up. The Megamind I knew would never have run from a fight, even when he knew he had absolutely no chance of winning. It was your best quality. You need to be that guy right now. The city needs you. I need you. Okay, okay. Metro Man and I were never a couple. But I thought you two were... And everybody did. It's just... Objects for everyone to be in love with because she's the only yeah, woman in the movie. I was going to say, that is what you get when you have only one female character in the movie and you're also very heteronormative, so everything has to be motivated by uh, romantic plots and subplots and tension. Mm -hmm. uh, every male character... No. But... Not really true, every male character, but both Mega Man, both Mega Mind and Titan are for much of the movie motivated by romantic hopes and or rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, so you have to have a love interest, but if you only have one female character and you, your male character's love interest have to be female, yeah, then it has to be the same person, exactly. <laughs> and she's, I mean, she does have agency she does have make choices and make uh and try to save the world herself sort of they almost they kind of step up to that and then they back off from it yeah i felt like they could have gone further with that but they do yeah she just she isn't a helpless damsel but she's damseled a lot of times she is and the, i mean it, what you were saying about her agency is something that happens a lot in movies uh where you, they want, they clearly want not to be sexist. So, but they have actually considered not being sexist. Yes. So they want to give the female character, you know, agency and power. And, uh, you know, you make her tough and kick ass and, uh, you make her be the most talented witch of her age. You make <laughs> her be the, uh, yeah. And yet she's not the hero of the book. No. Or the movie. Yeah. Right. And it comes up again, like, why wasn't Ant-Man about the Wasp if she's better than uh, Ant-Man? <laughs> why isn't uh, Hermione the main character of Harry Potter? Why isn't, uh, if Roxy is capable of being the hero, why yeah, isn't she why the hero? She? I mean, I don't think they ever show her as being necessarily capable of the hero, but they do show her a lot of the time as being like, we need a hero, we need this, we need that, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't occur to her that she could do it. No. When clearly she could. Yeah. When they've shown that she has power and intelligence and whatnot, that, that's a, yeah, basically it's just annoying. It annoyed me, and it made me dislike this movie because of it, because of like just the age, just the ridiculousness of this one single female character. Yeah. I think like without exaggerate, like, uh, I can't think of another female character who has a line. No, I don't think so. There's not a single other. I mean, there's not a lot of characters. There's like background yeah. people, kind of, and then there's the, the five that we've the already five, spoken about. Yeah. And that's it. 
but oh, I guess uh, her mother, the mother of the of the two uh, of Mega Man, Mega Mind says Mega Mind's mother has a has a line, line, and Metro Man's mother has a line when she lands yeah. when he lands in her yes. mansion. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and one of the things that I think, like, this is why I think that there is a lot to talk about in this oh, movie. Oh, oh, can I just say something Go. that I realize right now about the sexlessness of this movie is even at the very beginning, and maybe you didn't even see this part, when when Metro Man gets dropped off in, like, this rich, fancy house, the mom, the, like, wife in the family, it's like he's, like, under the Christmas tree, and she opens it up, and she's like, yay, a baby, and the dad is just like, Holding his newspaper, and he's like, "All right, dear." A baby! How awful! Oh yes, yes, I saw it in front of you. Luckily, I found a. And it's very like uh, 1950s. I mean, maybe it is supposed to be the 1950s, but like it's very 1950s. Like, oh yay, you got me a baby! And the dad, like, literally is like behind his newspaper, cannot see, and it's just like, "All right, dear, you're the." Woman who I just ignore. <laughs> I mean, and if we uh, again take that way too seriously, the image of the man who, as you said, literally cannot see his wife and uh, his—I mean, presume wife—his yeah. his partner. Uh, he is literally blind to the humanity of the people around him. Yeah, exactly. Right, but they don't in this movie. I did see that part, but yeah. uh, they don't. I I stepped away to make. Uh, to serve pizza to our family at early moments in this movie. Um, would we want to say that there's any attempt in this movie? Like, are they criticizing that? Maybe it's more a joke. I think it's just all, it's all for the joke. Yeah. And maybe it's a bit, and it's a bit like it's critical in terms of like, this is their childhood. And so this is a long time, like a long time ago, sort of, you can't see that I'm doing air quotes in it. Audio. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make a sound every time you do a quote. <laughs> um, that I'm doing. Now I've lost my train of thought. Completely. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago, and so like it can be like, oh, it's the fifties or whatever when they were all right. sexist, and so current time is less that. But it still has it. It's still there in the movie. It's still something that my kids saw. Was yeah. this father ignoring his child and ignoring his wife? That's what I always think about when we take this way too seriously is the straight up text of it. My kid is seeing that on the screen. They're seeing that trail. And this is a thing that we'll come back to. I'm sure it comes up in a lot of movies is that kids movies specifically, I think don't get as much uh, from me and you don't get as much leeway to be satirically parodying and critiquing something because children are exposed to these tropes. And even if you're reproducing them to criticize them, you're reproducing them for children who weren't aware of them until you reproduce them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you have a a father who doesn't care about his wife and thinks of his, and a family who think of a child as a possession Mm -hmm. and a father who thinks of his child and his wife both as uh, treats them as, you know, non-people, as uh, invisible to him. He's literally blind to them because of his uh, 
uh, emphasis on the new specifically of like, again, that trope exists because it's the idea of men's sphere is the world, women's sphere is the home. So you're mm-hmm. in the home, the man has the newspaper, he literally can't see the home because instead he's focusing on the world outside, which is where his attention belongs. Right. You know, uh, according to this. According to that. Um, yeah. Worldview. I was going to talk about, again, in terms of, uh, reproducing tropes critically. One of the things that this movie, like the gender politics of this movie, there's a lot to talk about mm-hmm. because another of the things that happened in this movie, the villain, um, who's Hal and becomes a uh, Titan yes. played by Jonah Hill. Yeah. He's very textually, I mean, he's a type that you would recognize, but he's very textually misogynist, entitled. He's, he's, he's textually the nice guy misogynist, mm-hmm. right? He thinks that because he uh, barely passes the level of decency in his treatment of a female colleague, that he has therefore earned her love yeah, and romantic affection. Absolutely. And it stays very subtext, but, you know, he's uh, a critical portrayal of this type of man who exists in real life yeah. of like, I held the door opened for you. Therefore you, do, you owe me sex. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the fact that they have him as, you know, the villain and they make that very explicit that this is villainous behavior. Do they get, does the movie get any points for that? I think it does get a few points for that. It does really show that because that sorry. she's, that she doesn't fall all over him mm-hmm. for acting like a hero. She's terrified of him for acting like a hero. I mean, he acts like a hero in a bad way, but she doesn't, it doesn't show like, oh, it was this hero thing that she was attracted to. No, she's attracted to a person. And, yeah. she, and this guy is ridiculously UOE. How could you not be with me after all this? Right. And she even says what I thought was so interesting, which I think is, is a really good thing, is she says, He's the last person you want to give powers to. So she recognized before Before he, he gets yeah, powers and starts acting explicitly villainous. Exactly. Before he starts that before he becomes this like gets all these powers and everything, she recognizes that he's not a good guy. She she knows that, and he, that she doesn't want to be with him. It's and that's important that for the movie. That's important for the movie because it, we re- we need to recognize the movie is actually textually saying that it is, he believes that she is not with him because he's like a schlub and, uh, uh, you know, not just super powerful, mm-hmm. buff, charismatic guy. Yeah. But the textual, the text of the movie makes it clear that she doesn't like or respect him because he is, um, morally deficient, right? Because if he's the last person that you should give powers to, she's recognizing before he has, abuse those powers, she's recognizing that he is a person who will abuse those powers. Yeah, exactly. That is a good point. And that is definitely points in this movie's favor for the gender politics. And against the movie, uh, <laughs> he's not the only one who talks about her as an object, as yes. a possession, as a reward for heroism. Yes. Very clearly, like, uh, a lot of the movie revolves around, the, a lot of the back half of the movie revolves around Mega Mind saying, you know, that he's the bad guy and the bad guy doesn't get the girl. Yeah. And that's such a commonly repeated trope that you almost don't notice it unless you're taking things seriously. Mm-hmm. But what's the problem with that kind of get language? Girl. 
exactly. Like he gets to possess her. Either he does or he doesn't. Well, either way, he never does because he's, she's not a possession. Yeah. And he, and that is again, our kids are hearing that. Our kids are hearing get the girl as a phrase. And that, the, and that if they internalize that again and again, they're going to think like, Oh, I'm someone to be gotten. I'm someone I'm not of my own. I'm not my own person. I'm there to be responsive to. To be one or not one to be like, yeah, yeah, that takes away a lot of the, like they give her agency, but they don't give her agency yeah. because in the end she is, she is yeah. prized to be gotten yeah. and he does get the girl. And that's how you know that he wins at the end. That's how, you know, the, the sign that he has successfully become a hero. Well, that's one of the, the things, statue of one of the, one of his prizes <laughs> yeah. is her. It's her. Absolutely. Anything else? Terms of the gender politics. Gender politics. I want to touch briefly on race, only to say that <laughs> I I had my little notepad next to me as I am now with movies and tick for like, do I notice any person of color? I noticed literally one person in a crowd in this movie. There was no one. Yeah, it was all white. I mean, he was blue. <laughs> I played by a white actor. Played by a white actor, so like that doesn't really count. Yeah, that was I believe, but like at one point he the Metro Man at the very beginning is juggles three babies, one of them is black. He throws it to his mom. That is it. And I was like, that's yeah. Wow. The in terms in race terms representation, this movie is even worse than gender terms. Yes, there are. absolutely. There's zero. It's in terms of yeah, in terms of diversity, in terms of uh, seeing yourself on the screen, zero. Yeah, everyone in this movie is white. Yeah, unless they're blue. Yeah, and if they're blue, they're played by a white person with the mannerisms of a white person. Yeah, or a fish also played by a white person with the mannerisms. Of yes, a white person. that is also true. You know, coded white. That can we talk about the fish? Can we talk? Let's about talk about the fish. Like the his name is Minion. Mm-hmm. He's given at the beginning to him as a baby when they're sending him off the planet as like a pet, I guess. But, like, does he have a mind of his own? Does he have... I kept thinking, like, what is his motivation? Why on earth... Like, he's just, like, he's a minion, so he hangs out with... And, like, it's weird because, like, now the term minion has specific connotations. And we should say, by the way, you said about, you know, Despicable Me. Like, this movie came out the same year as Despicable Me and has the same plot as Despicable Me and also has a minion. Yeah. Yeah, it's bananas. Anyway, sorry, anyway, I interrupted. Yeah, it's just, that's, ugh, I don't understand how movies just do that all the time, all the time. Do they copy off each other? Yes, I guess. I don't know how it works. Anyway, what, just in terms of story, what is his deal? Does he have any kind of desires of his own? Does, does his only desire seems to be to serve? I mean, there was a plot point that he was insulted but, that Megamind insulted him and he went away and then Megamind wasn't able to succeed until he came back and he was in disguise as the prison warden and he didn't help Megamind until Megamind apologized specifically for mistreating him. Yes. So he has a little bit of agency there, but that was going to bring me to my other thing to talk about in this movie, which is there's some class 
issues going on in this movie. Mm. And Minion is one of them, right? The idea that there is whether that there is a category of person who exists to serve another category of person. Yes. Right? He's his, you know, and we see this in movies all the time, the henchman, the minion, the whatever, but the fact that it's from birth, the fact yeah. that it's, you know, his there's his parents are coded upper class and then they have a servant, an indentured servant that they send to take care of their son, who remains an indentured but servant throughout the movie. To take, I guess, does he take care of him? Presumably early in his life, he does. Like, he, he says like, something about, like, my life, okay. my reason is to take care of you. And then he okay. says, I don't need you anymore. They, just, they seem like they were the same age. Like, it wasn't like an Alfred and Batman situation. No. It was like a... They're the same age, but somehow one of them is a servant. Yeah, you're right. It's like a class thing. And then, speaking of the class thing, then, the very beginning of the movie, where the two land. Yes. I feel like um, there's something there, right? Uh, lands in a... Megamind lands in a prison for the criminally gifted. Uh, yeah. And Metro Man lands in a mansion. Yeah. Metro Man, who landed in a mansion, grows up to become a hero, and Megamind, who is born in a prison, grows up to become a villain. Yeah. So what is this movie saying about class, then? It, it is saying what's... Why are you asking me questions? <laughs> so we can have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it is saying, like, that's where you start out, if you're not given the same opportunities, you can end up a certain yeah. way, but it also, like, does, you know... I mean, it's in some ways it's stupid that prison keeps the baby and raises him <laughs> in the prison. Like what? Yes. But because he looks like, cause he's blue, but it is true. And then they end up going to school together. Mm-hmm. It's the same school. Mm-hmm. So, they, so they don't, so they have the same opportunities in that way, but because their home life is different, yeah. they go different ways. And they, at the beginning of the movie really, I think is, pretty, I mean, frankly, not very subtle about it, uh, making a, you know, claim that your upbringing and the opportunities that are provided to you controls what happens to you. And the movie talks a lot about, like, one of the themes is destiny. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the movie, you know, makes the argument that uh, destiny is a matter of the opportunities that are available to you by virtue of your upbringing. Mm-hmm. He also, I'm just thinking now that he, as we should really be calling it, has privilege, has a lot yes. of, Me- um, Metro Man has a lot of privilege, and even the privilege to fake his own death and retire. Mm-hmm. That is a privilege he has, that he can just retire like that, that he can decide, meh, I'm not going to help people anymore. Yeah. Because he can't, he doesn't realize how much that would affect those who are in a lower and this class thing, or whatever. This is the thing that, uh, yeah, man, I, I was thinking as I was watching it and I was watching uh, Brad Pitt and that, as that voice and thinking like, Brad, cast Brad Pitt as a person who is genetically privileged and uh, tr- tr- treated deferentially because of things that aren't really a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that was interesting. But, uh, we um, talked before, before we were recording, about the way that the movie 
one of the things I think the movie does well, or one of the choices I think that's an interesting choice, is not to make Metro Man the villain, right? Mm. So more by the numbers, a more, uh, I mean, frankly, I think of Dr. Horrible Captain Hammer. The hero is really the villain. The hero is really the villain. The villain is really the hero. So if you're going to make the villain into the hero, the by the numbers thing to do is to make the hero into the villain. It turns out Metro Man was always a villain and Mega Man and Mega Mind has to uh, become heroic to overcome Metro Man. I think there's something interesting about choosing not to do that. But at the same time, they kind of can't decide whether they're going to do that or not. There's some hints early in the movie, like when their rockets are shooting towards Earth and Metro Man's rocket bumps uh, Mega yeah. Man's rocket and like he sticks out his tongue and his the privilege throughout is uh, really lampshaded. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, what you mentioned earlier about him juggling babies, he's very like cavalier about the people that he cares. There's yeah. a little bit again of Dr. Horrible of like, uh, you know, I sure am great. He's like the Captain Hammer yeah. kind of, uh, don't you love me character for a while at the beginning. And then they back away from that, but they don't. And then the other thing is he fakes his death to retire and, uh, Roxy and Megamind are both horrified that he would just retire and step away from helping people. Yeah. But then the movie kind of backs away from that again. It just drops them entirely. It drops them entirely and it doesn't, we're not really invited to share their horror mm-hmm. to say like, oh, it turned out he is a villain. Because yeah. if you take it seriously, if you think about it a little bit, they try to end the movie by being like, he was a good guy. He just was retiring. But we can say that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, that he has the power to help people and chooses not to. Actually, they don't subvert that. They don't decide that the hero isn't the villain. Yeah. He is the villain. He is. Right? Yeah. By virtue of not helping really, when he can help. I wonder whether there was, like, whether there was an earlier version of the script where he did, where he straight up, he became Titan. There isn't a Titan. Yeah. Where he, he does become the bad guy because it's true. The first half of the movie seems to be setting that up and then they just switch gears and it's like there's two halves kind of coming together. So I wonder if there was like different writers decided to do different things. They changed the script, but certain elements of that previous script remain. Yeah. I think maybe. And all of that, though, to come back to, again, what you were saying about privilege, that he, if we kind of take a step back and recognize that, you know, there's there's two steps of how this movie goes, that you think he's going to become the villain, and, oh, he isn't the villain. Oh, wait, take a step further back. Actually, he is the villain. Mm. And from this vantage point of recognize him as actually villainous, someone who has the power to help and doesn't, and then take into that again all the privilege that he has in every kind of possible way, genetic, but also financial, but also in terms of whatever, any kind of privilege you can think of. Yeah. Um, is there then an aspect of this movie that is directly, deliberately or not, directly commenting on what makes him villainous is the fact that he has privilege and doesn't use it to help. Mm. Even when he was using it to help, he wasn't using it to help. Yeah. I don't know if it's consciously doing that, but you're right. If you look for that, if you notice that it is there, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's consciously doing it. I don't think that it was smart enough to do that. No. And that doesn't really matter, though. That's no. over death of the author. We've come back again to 
though in the aggregate, I think this movie is a movie that tries to do some interesting things and doesn't do any of them as well as other movies have. Mm. So there's, there's things going on that are interesting in this movie. Yeah. And it suffers a lot by coming out in the same year as Despicable Me, um, which is just a better movie. Yeah, just everything about Every it. Every aspect of so Despicable Me is better than better. Megamind. There's no, there's no aspect of Megamind that is better than Despicable Me. Mm-hmm. Like, unfortunately, and that doesn't mean Megamind is bad, but it just no part of it is better. Even Will Ferrell is great, but Steve Carell was better. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, do you want to uh, put this on the, uh, the strange magic to, to stupid rating to, system? To turn around a scale? <laughs> Our stupid rating system. Our stupid rating system. <laughs> How do you, where do you place this movie as a whole? Um, I don't know. Not, not very high. Four and a half strange magics. Four and a half. I don't know the rating system. <laughs> I don't understand the rating system. But like, not halfway. Yeah. But like, it's not. It's not like it's a terrible movie. It's not like I wouldn't watch it again, even. But I would choose so many other movies that are a lot like it over it. Yeah. And maybe we should watch Despicable Me soon because maybe I'd like to really see what is better about Despicable Me. Yeah. Probably the three girls because they're, they're great. And awesome. Yeah, they definitely. So well, yeah. How do, you, I, how do you rate it? I would also. I think I would put it uh, not halfway, but I think I like it more than you do, and would watch it more than you would. Maybe we need a halfway mark on this reading. System. Yeah. What is halfway? Hoodwinked. No. Hoodwinked is Hoodwinked away. Is terrible. That was worse. Was really that was really bad. <laughs> I enjoyed Hoodwinked <laughs> in some ways. Oh. No, but, yeah, but Megamind is way better than other, The other thing is now that we're actually going to podcast about these movies that we watch on Friday nights, I sometimes fall asleep. It's true. <laughs> I've had a long day at work. We're sitting there. We have a bunch of pizza. And, like, sometimes I just nod off for a little bit. And I try not to, but sometimes I do. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> That isn't really, I should watch it myself to know what happened. <laughs> do you do need a halfway point? What's halfway between Strange Magic? Maybe and this movie. Maybe Megamind maybe is Megamind the halfway point. Megamind is the halfway point. Because, yeah, it's not aggressive. Like, there's nothing bad about Megamind. Yeah. Well, there are bad things about Megamind. But in terms of the execute, in terms of, like, there are things that are, like, the only one female character and no people of color is bad. Mm. But in terms of, like, how they do their job at making a film and putting a story together and acting it out and animating it for us. Yeah. It's all very competently done. Okay. Let's, let's call Megamind the halfway point. All right. In which case I'm going to put it, what we've said in the past, uh, Hotel Transylvania is, is higher than halfway. Then. Yeah. Just slightly higher. Yeah. And what else have we talked about? Oh, we talked about Lego Batman. Lego that's, Batman. That's no, that's way up there. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. That's a wrap for Way Too Seriously. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And you can find us on Twitter at WTSCast. Um, and from there, you can find us personally by using your excellent detective skills. <laughs> you can email us at waytoseriouslycast at gmail. Dot com. You can also support us more directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. 
If you like us, give a rating or review on iTunes so other people can find us too. We don't have an outro. Thank <laughs> you.